Welcome to the Whole Equestrian Podcast. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness. Discussing topics related to mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. Our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. I'm Emily Hamill, a four-star level eventer, dedicated practitioner of yoga, Pilates, and meditation, personal development enthusiast, and plant-strong athlete. And I'm currently at home in Pennsylvania recording this with my wonderful co-host, Tyler Held. That's me, Tyler Held. I am a professional groom and a mental toughness coach, a lifelong learner in the areas of mindset, positive thinking, and motivation. I'm a practitioner of CrossFit, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and daily meditation. Today, we have a very special guest on this episode, and we're going to focus on the, our important pillar of fitness. As I've talked about before on the podcast, my journey into exploring yoga and Pilates has really benefited my riding with everything from increasing my body awareness to helping control back pain. And as a groom, I think it's super important to stay fit, to be able to handle the loads of the day, lifting heavy trunks, running horses back and forth from the ring. I'm a big fan of all things fitness, so I'm really excited to dive into this conversation with Coach Sando today. Um, Tony Sandoval started his career as a strength and conditioning coach for Division I collegiate athletes. While at the University of Kentucky, he began working with equestrians, and it grew from there. But we will let him tell you more about that story. So please welcome the man, the myth, the legend, Coach Sando. Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. We're so excited. Yes, this is going to be great. So I want to start this conversation a little bit differently. Um, To be honest, I hadn't really heard about you until... A few months ago, and while I was checking our social media one day, I saw that Coach Sando Training had liked a few of our posts, so I did a little stalking, um, you know, as you do, and I really loved what I saw on your social media. Your presence is so positive, and it's clear that you truly want to serve the equestrian community. Um, Then, the funny part of it is, literally later that day, I picked up an Eventing USA magazine that I was getting to reading like a few weeks late. And I turned to your article and was like, man, this guy is everywhere. Um, Like, how have I not heard of him before? So I guess what I'm trying to say is to me, on the surface, it seemed like you were an overnight success, but I understand that's never the case. And it's the years of hard work that finally pay off and put you on the map. Can you give us just a, a rundown of the journey that led you here? Yeah, so, um... It all started when I was working with um, an equestrian athlete. She was, um, or she still is, uh, a five-gated rider. And I had never worked with uh, anybody that rode a horse before. And she came at me with all these issues uh, that were bothering her as far as pain. We started working together, and she ended up doing some amazing things at her World Grand Champions. And then right after that, it's like a, like a week or two from that, I started working with Allie Knowles, um, who's a five-star eventer. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't know who she was. And we just became really good friends and ends up that she's from a city in Northern California that I lived really close to and was very familiar. So once we uh, kind of knew where we were from, it's kind of like we became bros. Nice. From there on, we just had like a really strong relationship and still never knew about anything with horses or equestrian athletes. I was just having a good time training her. And 
as uh, we kept talking, I started figuring out some things that she needed. So I did, you know, a little needs analysis and what do you need as far as an equestrian athlete, but still nothing really serious mm-hmm. as far as me diving in and saying, all I want to do is work with the equestrian athletes. Then she was in an, uh, in an accident. Uh, she had a rotational fall. And when she recovered, she made it a point to tell me that the doctor told her that if it wasn't for all the strength training that we had been doing, she probably wouldn't have been alive. So she thanked me for saving her life. At that point, that's when I knew that I wanted to work with nothing but equestrian athletes. Because in college, you get told from a lot of athletes, you know, thank you for making me a better athlete, a better person, and for changing my attitude. I'm a lot more mature. So I found a lot of pleasure with that. But I had never gotten told by anybody, thank you for saving my life. So yeah. That's a whole different yeah. level, isn't it? It is. It is such a different level. And I can't, I still get chills every time I talk to people about uh, Ali and I's story. And after that, I just kept asking her questions and more questions. And she probably got really irritated with me, but she was, you know, teaching me about what was going on. And then when I went to my first horse show, which happened to be probably, you know, the Super Bowl in the United States, my first eventing show was uh, Land Rover. That's a, that's a good first one to go to. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm gonna choose an event to go to that's my first one, that was it. And I was like, whoa. There's some amazing horses here, and so the, the competition, I could feel it in the air, you know, when I walk in, I'm used to walking into stadiums with 90, you know, 100K in the, in the stadium cheering, and you just feel that energy, but when I was out on that course, and I'm watching, it was like the same feeling for me when the athletes were just, you know, riding by, and I could see it in their faces, how it, intense they were, I just said, man, I love this. Yeah, so, that's, that's, I got started. that's that Kentucky magic. I think Emily and I have both talked about it on the show. Yeah. I, uh, I went for my first time right after um, I was a freshman in college and I studied equestrian um, equine business management in college. And I went to Kentucky for the first time and I got out on that course and I just saw those horses and I was like, this is the sport I want to be in. It is something else out there. Yeah, it's so inspiring. Like, that's how I decided that I wanted to do eventing, like, full-time, wanted to just make this my life, because I went when I was young, I think, like, 9 or 10 with my 4-H group for the first time, and I was like, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So it's pretty, Kentucky is an amazing event. So, so, um, obviously, football players and equestrians are very different kinds of athletes, and that's, like, a pretty big transition. What are the most significant differences, and how did you make those adjustments? So, the, the main differences between any sport is going to be really taking a look at what the needs are of the sport, and then in, in the... If you take every case individually, you'll start figuring out, okay, some people are just more skilled than others, just like any other sport. So they, what I started finding out, like, I'm working with a five-star rider. That's my only, we'll call it, like, number of one, if you're talking about research. So if I'm comparing everybody to Ali, that's not going to be fair, right? right? So I didn't know at the time that what was going on, because Ali's super athletic. She's 
strong. She's all the things that any athlete would want to be. Uh, when I really started to find some questions to ask myself was when I started working with UK eventing. Okay. And I started getting now a bigger population of people to, to really take under consideration what the actual needs were. And the need that I automatically saw when I started training that level of rider or the experience and the age that they had was overall athleticism. So I know that's, you know, that's a broad answer, but little simple things like jumping rope, learning how to land off of boxes, um, learning how to gauge distances from hurdles that we're jumping over, uh, sprinting mechanics, jumping mechanics, not just landing mechanics, but jumping, uh, were things that were lacking. So if you talk about, like, I know a big thing for riders is core strength and all the things that have to do with balance, but all those things come from being athletic. You know, if we, uh, 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 come off to the side here a little bit on this and talk about probably what a lot of people would have thought was the major difference of the, the, the need for core strength. Gravity pushes on us 24-7. Our core is strong enough to hold us upright so that we don't fold like accordions. The, the, the deal that I started working with in improving athleticism is learning how to use your body to use your core properly so that you can express your strength. So that was the major thing. So now if we compare what football players do, it, they're always using their body to express their athleticism. So they understand how to use their core strength. They understand how to propel themselves when they're running or jumping. But for riders, if, especially if they've never done any other sport except riding, sometimes you would think that doing a lot of skill work like, like riding would teach you how to use your core properly, but if you never had the strength or you never had the skill and athleticism taught early, what's, what's probably been going on is you've been compensating for that many years using your core improperly. So then your thing is, well, I think I just need a stronger core. And a lot of times, you know, that may be the case. But when I started seeing that pool of athletes come into me and start training with me, I knew, okay, we're just gonna take this program and build athletes. And and the girls bought in because when I sold it to them, I sold it to them in that in that aspect. We're not gonna just be doing leg day or glutes. We're gonna turn everyone here into a better athlete. And when they started seeing results from just being more athletic, they bought in. And it didn't take too long. I mean, after a month, I was getting girls and I was getting trainers emailing me saying the girls are looking better whatever you're doing is working and so i felt like i was on the right track at that point like okay this is what we need just to build better athletes so i don't know i know that you know you asked what was the big difference and it's not necessarily a specific body part or a strength level it's more of a the complete the complete athlete of being an equestrian rider well yeah and i think like it is um the, you know, the number one excuse for equestrians is like, we just don't have time to work out. And like the yeah. idea is that, you know, like you are typical equestrian, like, especially if you're doing it full time, you're running around from sun up to sundown and you think like, okay, I'm active. So I must be 
athletic or I must at least have some level of fitness, but how undirected all of those activities going through the day usually are, you don't understand how the skill work, the strength, the conditioning, it's just not there. I'll give you an example, I mean, I'll give you an example of what, when I figured out something and I remember yelling at the team, not yelling at them like I'm mad, but yelling at them like, this is what we got to work on. I set up gymnastics for humans, which is just, uh, if, you, if you can imagine, I set up hurdles in front of them that would resemble doing gymnastics in, during a jump lesson. And I said, okay, I want you girls to go through this and let me see how athletic you are as far as understanding where your takeoff point is, what stride you're going to come in. And then the goal is not to spend a lot of time on the floor. So you have to be very bouncy and have rhythm. If you understand that I have rhythm and know where to jump and where exactly you're going to land, you're going to make this look like you're floating on air. And everybody went, and I yelled at everybody like that. And my question was, and I'm going to say it without yelling, is how can you expect to have a team, a teammate, depend on you for balance, rhythm, learning distances while you're on that teammate when you can't do it outside the saddle or off the saddle? How can that? How can you guys expect to do that efficiently? And all the girls looked at me, and guess what we did for a month? All we did was those hurdle jumps because they needed to learn the athletic skill to to base movement off of distances and and feel for the floor. And that's not something that you're going to get in a lot of training programs, right? That's something that I've seen a long time with with football guys or basketball guys or baseball guys, but it's still athletics. So I think the girls really enjoyed that I treated them like an athlete and not like we're just going to get toned or we're just going to get fit. And not that there's nothing wrong with that, but that was my overall needs assessment for that group. Become more athletic. Yeah, that's awesome. Like that, I, I want to do that. That yeah. sounds fantastic. <laughs> I'm like, sign me up. Send me a video and I'll yell at you too, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, sounds like a plan. So... um. I've been a big fan of yoga for a while, but I got into Pilates last year, uh, and I found that the added focus on strength really helped in my riding. Uh, so how do you balance strength and flexibility work? So I love this question because, and I don't want to get too technical because I, I can sometimes talk like that. So when you are trying to balance strength and flexibility, you have to understand what type of strength you're trying to balance. And what I mean by that is uh, disciplines like Pilates and yoga focus on a lot of mind-to-muscle connection. And now if we stay with that concept, what that really means is learning how to recruit a lot of muscles to perform a movement. And And a lot of people, they struggle because if they don't have the athleticism, to recruit, I'm gonna say an arbitrary number here, 10 muscles to perform an exercise and their ability is only to recruit three, mm-hmm. they become stronger because now they're instead of using three, they're learning how to recruit those other seven muscles to perform that exercise and they call that strength. When you're talking about what we call that motor, motor unit recruitment, and if you're, If you're balancing motor, unit recruitment, and flexibility, that is an easy balance. 
because all you're trying to do is turn on the muscles and then flexibility makes that once you turn on the muscles uh, I'll say that you're trying to contract the muscles and relax the muscles contract and relax that's what I mean by using then a flexibility program will help you reestablish the proper length so that the muscles learn how to relax and you don't end up having stiff or muscle-bound joints or movements. Does that make sense? Did I lose anybody there? No, I mean, I'm I'm kind of like a super nerd about all this stuff too, but um, I guess... I, I don't know if I lost anybody on that. Uh, no, I, I think that all makes sense. Yeah. So, so the question that I think um, I try to answer with people is when we do actually strength train, when we are adding resistance through any type of weight, dumbbell, kettlebell, and you start training and to increase your actual strength, not motor recruitment, but actual the ability for your muscles to work against resistance and then overcome that so that you get actually stronger. The balance is being able to improve strength and again, implement a proper cool down and a stretching program that's going to let your body, number one, recover from all the exercise that you did, but two, make sure that you keep the length of the muscle so that you can do what you're actually training to do, and that's a ride a horse. Because if I have you two ladies, and we're going through a strength training session, and your legs are blown, and then I, you can't even go and do your sport, then I am not performing my job at the highest level. Because now I'm preventing you from actually being a, being a better athlete, which is an equestrian athlete. If you were here with me, and you were a power lifter, then that's your sport. But I always take into consideration that I'm building an athlete for another sport using training, using resistance training as a tool to improve their athleticism, not for the sake of lifting weights or lift weight. And obviously, like, I think we can all agree that, like, a horseback rider, like you said, it's not a power lifter. Like, you do not have to be, like, bulky muscle <laughs> to get this job done. Um, so as far as, like, the strength training is concerned, would you agree that it's more making riders aware of what muscles are working at what times? Because I think like for me, that's what I struggle with is like the proprioceptive aspect of it, of like, you know, not even know where, where my body parts are in space, like, and being able to do something outside of the saddle that makes me more aware of what muscles I need to use inside the saddle. Is that something that you've been able to focus in on? Uh, yes, actually that is one of my biggest sell points to anyone that wants to work with me is you're going to get more time where you're learning how to operate your body. You're gonna get more feedback about how to make adjustments that you may not have the opportunity to while you're riding because that's such a high skill activity where not that resistance training is not high skill, but the focus is more on solely your body than it is on a teammate that you're sitting on. So I always preach, what are you feeling? How do you make the adjustment? Did that feel right? So you're right, it's the training is not just gaining strength for the sake of gaining strength, it's gaining the skill to learn how to work with your body to make adjustments. And I tell you, that that's another thing that coaches always tell me, or, or trainers, that the learning curve gets a lot higher because the girls are understanding how to make adjustments in the saddle. They're not just wondering how to tuck their hips 
or how to keep their shoulders back or how to keep a quiet upper body because we're doing that training off saddle. Yeah, I love how you really were talking about the feel of it because that's what riding's all about at the end of the day is the feel. So it's, it's great that you've tapped into that and been able to work that into your program. You know, when I started uh, getting the opportunity to meet a lot of the trainers, local trainers here, and then I'd go and watch lessons, and I'd go and just try to be part of the, of the farm fam. And then I started, you know, riding. And I'm not going to call it riding. It's more like experiment getting on a horse. <laughs> and and when, I, when I started understanding a horse's in my head was there was so many buttons to push because every little thing that I was doing would cause a certain change or, or make them stop. So for me, it was also someone that is skilled, not only on saddle, but also skilled with their body just in general, is learns how to communicate more effectively with their teammate. And that's where I started talking about that with the team is, man, that was such an eye-opener for me to actually go in there, and I'm not gonna say experience what they experience. I'm not, you know, jumping over things. I was just doing flat work, you know, on a lunge line. But even then, I was, I had such a deeper respect and understanding for what the, the use of their body has to be put under in order to be effective. It's such a high-skill, high-feel sport. And so I, I didn't get that until I started riding. Yeah, I think people forget sometimes that like horses will literally react to a fly landing on their back. And so, you know, if you're crooked as a rider or if you're applying some aid that you're not realizing that you're applying, that is going to have a huge effect in the outcome of what you're producing as far as like your training with your horse is going. Yeah, I, I believe that. <laughs> so let's... um change topics a little bit in the eventing usa magazine that had the article that i read about you there were a lot of fascinating things but a few really stuck out to me and you mentioned that you make your athletes do military-based after action reviews or aars can you explain what that is and how it's been useful yeah so i got the the idea of an after action report from David Goggins, and I, uh, David Goggins is an author of a book called You Can't Hurt Me. I, I actually and, read that book um, last year. It was, uh, uh, I've talked about it on the show before we do a segment called Books, 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 and I, I love that book. Wasn't it awesome? So good. Oh, I mean, it got me fired up, and what I, when I went to, when I started going to, you know, shows, and I would talk to the athletes after show after the show it was you know I didn't know what one did to prepare for a show just you know obviously from my experience with other sports there's always a game plan there's always a strategy there's a technical side there's a tactical side there's a physical side and then of course there's a mental side and all of those things have to get calculated in order for you to have this approach to a competition where you can not necessarily predict win or defeat, or, or defeat, but you can predict how you're going to execute a certain task so that you have higher confidence in that. So when I was in receiving this information from all of the athletes, that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to build an AR form for these, for these girls. 
And I started implementing uh, this form, and it basically asks a couple questions. And the question is, uh, the questions are, uh, um, number one, what is your uh, what is your plan for the host for this portion? Number two, uh, what went wrong? So this is obviously after the show. What went wrong? Number three, why did it go wrong? Number four, could you have done something different? Number five, what went well? Number six, what actions could you take to reproduce success? So again, all these questions are just to give someone a little bit more focus or at least an outside view of what just happened. And when we talk about sports psychology, there's, I think, in my head, there's two parts of that. There's the all of the uh, vision, I'm sorry, all of the visuals, all of the mental imagery, all of the self-positive talk, and those things sometimes may not live in the real world, meaning it's in your head, and you have to master your mind, uh, and a lot of people either buy into it or they don't. And the second component is the actionable stuff. And for me, it's easier to get someone to buy into the sports psychology of things if I start there, if I start teaching them how to have goals, how to have strategies, how to have their lessons built upon their strategies. So if you knew in the prior show you did something wrong in dressage, do you think that maybe working on that during your lessons to improve that skill would be beneficial? If not, why? If so, how many times are you doing that until your next horse show? Can we get a quantitative number to tell us that because you spent these many hours working on this specific skill, that that is going to increase the likelihood of you improving that in your next horse show? And is that going to build you confidence? So now the girls started getting a little bit more actionable items to the sports psychology concept. And from there, now we can start talking about how do we, uh, how do we prepare with our, our positive talk? How do we take all these probably um, theories that they've heard from other maybe people in the industry or in the community that talk about sports psychology, but I always felt that with the athletes that I've worked with, they come out of those sessions and go, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a, a flash in the pan. So I wanted to build something where they can actually show me their sheets and talk to me about what this happened. A lot of times, to be honest, I didn't know what they were talking about. I'm still learning, right? So I'm just going, wait, what? Okay, okay. But I wanted to hear them talk about what they did, and then they start getting a little nervous when I'd ask, well, did you do that your last horse show? And then I'd get the crickets. And then I'd just say, look, I'm not going to yell at you. I just, I just want this to work for you. Did, have you got, have you improved? And well, maybe not. Well, what are some things that you can? Is it going to more clinics? Is it, you know, being more consistent with your running? You have to know the answer or at least have a trainer that can help you. That way it's not the same show time after time after time. Because one thing that one of my clients told me is there's only so many jumps that a horse has in it. And you don't want to waste them. Yeah. So then I started getting into there, and I, you know, I, this is me being a little bit of a jerk. So are you wasting your horse's years by not getting better? I and love I, that. I, I, I'm you got some <laughs> tough love there. <laughs> so I'm going to sidestep a little bit, and I, this is a question that I always ask uh, a lot of the riders that I work with because it, it's an intriguing one, and it makes them be a little bit more thoughtful about their actions. And what I ask is, 
you spend a lot of time picking the horse that is sound, has the right confirmation, checks off all the boxes. But if the horse had to pick their rider, would they pick you? And so when I ask those questions like that, again, it's just to put a little bit of urgency into these riders because I coach like you're a true athlete and I treat you like you're a true athlete. That means to me, I don't, I'm not going to take excuses. I'm not going to take, uh, well, I did it because I had to do X, Y, Z. Yeah, unload the horses, put them in their stalls, do all the things you need to do, and then go and give me that after-action report. Because you need to understand how you can help your teammate perform better. And so that way, the ride is not only more effective, but it's also safer, right? So that's how I tie everything with this after-action review it builds it gives them a little bit of a habit on how to evaluate the performance from their perspective and and the trainers but it is also i think building that that mental fortitude that you can only get with confidence and how do you gain confidence you have to gain it through being disciplined on the actions that you're doing in training to so that you can pull from when you start getting nervous i've done this a hundred times i've done all the work of course i'm going to do this I have no other option, and and so again, it's a long process, and I'm not going to say we're there all the way, but I feel really good in the direction that I'm taking a lot of these athletes. Dad, I love this for so many reasons. I actually have I have so many books, like even these little pamphlets that go Navy Seal mental toughness that I read. Um, I you know had competed and I'm a professional groom now that's kind of more my vocation in the sport but when I was riding competitively I realized how much the mental side was getting in my way and so I jumped into all these naval navy seal mental toughness books and that's what actually got me into sports psychology that's what made me want to pursue my master's I'm getting to start a doctoral program in July and like it just all really lines up and I've used the after action reports even as a groom um, you know if I'm working for a new rider at the end of the day I'll be like okay here's what I think went well here's what I think didn't go well um, and I just kind of go from there and um, I just really think it's like a super important thing that we can do um, and then as far, beyond um, mindset, I know that nutrition goes a lot into the training. And um, in, in your article, you said that you had a chef available to make meals for your local clients. Um, yeah. I know there's millions of different ways to eat, but like, what do you have success with when it comes into like personally choosing a nutrition plan for your clients? Well, first of all, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit and say, Tyler, I think we became best friends. Wow. So, <laughs> I think what we just said, we just became best friends. And now I'm going to go to that question. I just had to throw that in. No, I'm honored. I think, I think we're, Coach Sando, we're going to be tight. When, when coronavirus is over, we're going to hang out. <laughs> For sure. So here's the, my deal with nutrition and, and I have to always make sure that I say the, the correct things because what I found is in the sport of equestrian athletics, there's such a high demand, right? A, a high amount of attention to the way someone looks and and the, and how much someone weighs. And I'm old, again, I'm not, I haven't been in this community for a long time, but I see the effects 
with the people that I work with. So for me, the approach and the philosophy that, that I took when working with like, anybody that rides a horse is more of a holistic type, well-balanced uh, nutrition program because what I found out, 99% of all the riders that I work with under 99%. I think there's that point one, and I'm just being uh, gracious. But there's, I don't understand, I didn't, I didn't understand it, but as I got to know the, the, the girls and other people, there is one guy that trains with us, so I don't want to miss him out, but so I'll say athletes. That the more I started to get to know their lifestyle, besides being students or besides being, you know, working students, it's they have such long days that sometimes they forget to eat, and it's not something that is a conscious effort, but it is more of work, 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 work. Oh yeah, I got a snack, and then I got to eat, and this is the way I nourish myself as an athlete. So what I started to do is educate them on adding more food, more substance to their diet so that they can see the benefits of training. And again, I always use these horse analogies because sometimes I feel like when you talk to someone that is all about their horse and knows that a horse should have BCAAs and electrolytes after they finish working, but then you go and eat Chick-fil-A, not that Chick-fil-A is wrong, but can you see the comparison where somebody's really taking uh, a lot of effort to have high quality post-workout nutrition for a horse, but then you go in low quality yourself. See, so that's where I started educating people on, we're gonna have a little bit more frequency with meals. Maybe we're gonna snack. We're gonna definitely try to increase slowly the amount of protein that we eat because we understand that protein is gonna be the main source of fuel that we need to recover from all of our physical activities and is going to help us with the satiety throughout the day so that we're not starving and then lose focus because all your body's thinking about is how hungry I am. So uh, I don't know if that was a detailed enough answer. That's a great answer. The approach that I take is let me teach you how to eat and eating is okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's like, I don't know, even for me, like I, um, not being a rider and I do lifting and jujitsu and like a lot of things that spend a lot of calories on top of, you know, being in the barn all day. I find that even if I'm, you know, eating every three hours like an athlete should to fuel them throughout the day, like if I'm trying to eat really clean, I still have mm-hmm. the issue of getting the caloric load in. Just because mm-hmm. if you wake up, like, I mean, I typically wake up at 5 a.m. I do a workout before work. I'm at work for nine or 10 hours in a day. And then I go and I'm at the gym for one or two hours at night too. So just maintaining the caloric load is so important. And I I, I find it difficult. And I know Emily went through a slump um, this winter where she just couldn't. Yeah, I was just feeling exhausted. And I eat a lot, actually. Like I used to be one of you know, in my earlier days of riding, I would just go all day and then like eat as much as I could at night. But I've learned to plan ahead and prepare meals and make sure I have snacks that I can eat every couple of hours. But this winter, I was just like feeling exhausted every day. And I was, you know, working hard, but not more than usual. But and I was eating, but I'm plant based. So again, and I try to do whole foods. So you have to eat a lot to get 
the the amount of calories to fuel you throughout that day so i yeah the power of eating is is a real thing it is and you know and I, I again i try to put myself in all of my athletes shoes and understand you know they have early mornings and they work or they go to school and then at night they're still trying to have you know, finish their day off in a sense of some type of normalcy where they can have dinner. And sometimes they don't eat till 10 and then they got to do more work tomorrow. And what I always tell them is in your day, in your week, there are variables that are not going to change. And if we look at the other variables that can change, meaning your training sessions, uh, any extracurricular activities, those are the ones that you have to balance so that you can have a schedule that's going to lead your, lead your body or be more favorable to recovery. Because one of the things that I really, really value in every question that I work with is work ethic. They will work and work and work, and I can't help but be attracted to that. That's another reason why I love this, this sport is the people and the commitment that they have to their horse. But at some point, I also have to regulate them and, and ask them, okay, what do you have today? What, are you, what, you have a jump lesson? Is it all flat work? How much? Are you just hacking? That way I can help plan. So when they're doing nothing but hacking, that's going to be a day where we're training hard. And then your calories that you're getting in might be able to actually help you recover. But if you're doing something really difficult, I would say maybe your training shouldn't be that difficult as well because it's never the, the overtraining aspect that I'm worried about. It's always the under-recovery. So not eating properly when your schedule doesn't allow it, but you still manage to get a hard training session in, sometimes that hard training session is going to be detrimental instead of beneficial and building adaptations from a stimulus that you can recover from. So if you give your body a stimulus or a workout, we're gonna call that a workout, that you can't recover from, then the body, the brain, just looks at it as a traumatic event. And it's super glad it's over, but it wasn't something that was systemically uh, uh, given to your body so that it can make an adaptation because it was so hard. And so a lot of riders that start feeling unmotivated to train, that is some of the effects or signs of being overtrained is that your lack of motivation, you start to lose hunger, you can't sleep. But you know, the rider, they're gonna they're gonna grind through it. So it's my job when you're under my watch is to kind of figure out. So when's when's what do we got today? When is your hardest day of riding? So that thing is probably gonna be more mobility, some stretching, some foam rolling, right? And you know, I'll ask questions. That way I can protect them from themselves. Now, beyond nutrition, do you have any um, go-to, like, I mean, obviously you, you mentioned the foam rolling and everything like that, but are there any like other key recovery practices that you pay attention to with your athletes? So number one is sleep. There's three things that I that I consider. I'm sorry, recovery. My three big three big ones are number one, hydration. Mm -hmm. We're made out of water. You got to make sure that you drink, starting half of your weight in ounces of water, and maybe a little bit of that water should be something like an alkaline or a pH uh, electrolyte based water because some people are hard sweaters. So that sodium that leaks out, the water is not going to be enough to properly hydrate you. You need an alkaline or an electrolyte-based water to combine with regular water so that you can absorb the water. So we need to have that. 
Number two, we need to sleep at least eight hours a day. If, again, I know that some people, are, if that is impossible, so we have to pick and choose when we can train again hard depending on your recovery level. If you only got four hours of sleep, then that day, yes, you want to grind through that training session, but you're better off maybe having a lighter training session until you can get somewhere around close to eight hours of sleep, and then you can train hard. That is a tough pill for people to swallow. But again, we're, I always try to preach longevity. Be, be right where you're supposed to be when you're riding. Don't be tired, uh, unfocused because you're sleepy when you're riding an animal that can easily buck you off and you wouldn't even know because your reaction time is slower. And my third thing that I always add is nutrition. If you, do, if you eat, sleep, and drink water, you, those are the big three for recovery. After that, then we can start talking about using uh, modalities like uh, foam roller. And I've, I've put out a lot of foam rolling exercises on my, on my Instagram. That way, riders can find at least a resource that they can get a protocol or a series of foam rollers that I feel are the most beneficial for them. And after foam rolling, I have a lot of my athletes just get like a belt, and we do something called AIS stretching. So it's an active isolated stretching protocol that I use, and it's basically teaching the body how to stretch as much range of motion as they can on their own, and then using something like a belt to slightly pull you into an uncomfortable range of motion that your body can now start owning that range. So now you're, it's almost like small bits and pieces of range of motion that you're discovering from stretching in this manner. Uh, so those are my two big ones, uh, the modalities, just foam roll and stretch. Uh, it's super easy to do, and I try to make things easy that they can do at home or after they ride. Uh, and then they're with, when they're with me, we do a, a couple other things that are a little bit more intensive and a little bit more complicated to do on their own. But for home, I think those two work great. Yeah, that's awesome. I know that like I... Um... I sometimes steal some of our good recovery modalities from the horses. Um, we're very lucky to have a magna wave in our barn. I don't know mm. if you've heard of that yet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The magna oh, wave yeah. is amazing. So I'll just do a little bit like magna wave the horse, magna wave myself, and uh, <laughs> it makes the day really great. <laughs> do you guys have, uh, or have you ever heard of uh, vibration plates? Yeah, we have one in our barn at Phillips. Yeah, so those, again, it just depends what people have. And for me, if I knew that an athlete has a vibration plate at the farm, I'll say stay on there, do a couple squats, do a couple stretches on there, uh, something for the hamstring, something for your growing, and then get off of that, and then start stretching again, and you automatically see more, more reach of motion. Because what happens is that vibration kind of stuns the communication from your brain to your muscles that are, uh, for the most part, I'm not going to say turn off, but we're going to say ease off the, the protective mechanism of your muscle so it loosens up, and then you'll be able to get into better ranges of motion if you do the vibration plate first and then go into your static stretching. Mm-hmm. Try it out. You'll, you'll definitely be like, I think we'll have to try that. that. Yeah, we'll have to get some video of Emily doing that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, send it, and then I'll, I'll coach you guys up. I'll send you some stretches that you can do while you're on it and then while you're off of it. Awesome. That That's great. So, I, I mean, I feel like we could talk to you forever, um, but I suppose at some point we have to round this up a little bit. I, 
you know, I hear a lot of things that you offer. Um, can you kind of explain some of the training options that you have for individual riders, barns of riders, um, like what, what, what sort of things? What's the services? Yeah, service list. So the, the, our main service that we offer is an online uh, training program where uh, you are given an app, access to an app, and in the app I give you not only a training program that you can do to increase the things that I assess that you probably need to become a better rider. So a lot of it will be strength work, uh, proprioception work, balance work, posture, uh, and obviously the big word core strength, but it's more about core coordination. I'd like to call it core coordination instead of core strength because, like I mentioned earlier, I think everybody has a base level of strength. It's just coordinating those muscles so that you can express that strength. But I also throw in a lot of what I'm going to say this very biasly, but cool programs along with your training uh, program that all coincide or they're cohesively uh, mixed together so that you get a lot more from your training. So for an example, I, uh, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this type of stretching, but it's called Aldoa stretching. And Aldoa stretching focuses on not only tissue and tendons and ligaments that get a little bit of relief through the stretching process, but more importantly, fascia. And fascia is that surrounding sheath around our muscles that have a lot of nerves and some blood supply, but that gets really tight. Imagine a tight sock around your calf. Eventually that calf is really hard to move around because it's restricted. That is fascia. So this type of stretch helps loosen that up so that you feel more mobile, more uh, relaxed. And some people even text me and they'll say, hey, I feel taller because it does do a segment by segment of the spine. So it's pretty cool stuff. So throughout your week, I set you up so that you have proper training, proper mobility, proper stretching, and then nutrition and habit goals. All this comes along in the online training because to me, if I can't help you create the habit of training, then even if I have all these cool parts of your program but you never do them, then it's not a cool program. So a, a, a large part of my training is giving you the, we're gonna say the skill or at least the ability to schedule yourself some training and be able to accomplish it and have consistency with it so you can see results. That's one part of our services. The next part, well, before this corona, uh, is I would uh, travel to farms and give presentations and give assessments to farms uh, that would be willing to have the riders sit down and listen to me and I could assess the whole barn and evaluate the needs and talk to the trainers. And just it's almost like a clinic where it would be a hands-on clinic where I could teach some basic fundamental movements of training and I could teach a pre-warm-up uh, pre or pre-ride uh, protocol, mm -hmm. and then a post-ride protocol. That way everybody understands how to recover from their lessons. Um, and I did it for a couple farms here in town, but I told everybody, or I try to tell everybody that contacts me, you tell me where you're at, and I'll, I'll fly out there. And I'm just trying to spread the word of, of strength and conditioning and safety to as many people as will allow me. Okay, Pennsylvania. You're coming to Pennsylvania as soon as Pencil this yes. all finishes. I, I, yeah, and to me, it's again, it's like you two are doing. It's just spreading the word of fitness and all the other things that, that 
come with it to make this whole equestrian. I love the tie. What a good tie-in. <laughs> so, um, we like to close our episodes with actionable advice for our listeners so they have something to take away and easily implement. You've already given us so much great info, but if you could give our listeners just one thing to do right now, what would it be? And I know this is going to sound like a plug, but I did this for the equestrian community because I really did want to help during this uh, coronavirus situation, and that is to go to my website. I have a free six-week training program that has a warm-up and six weeks of training that are all built in progressively so that you can work yourself at least a goal so that by the time you are able to get back and ride, if you're not able to, that you can say, I am physically better. Because the most important takeaway from that I would love for anybody listening to this to get from is start being active. Work on your athleticism. That is the biggest thing. And, And how you start is just schedule it in and it's easier when you have a training program because now you know you have some direction and on the training program there's videos on every single exercise that if you click it'll show you how to do it awesome Where, what is that website so our listeners can find it, you it is uh, coachsandotraining.com awesome thank you so much like I feel like I could just continue this conversation for like another three hours and since we're best friends now, like we could probably, yes. you know, <laughs> hang out, continue yeah. to hang out, but we'll go ahead and wrap it up um, and seal the show. Thanks so much for listening. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness. And in the meantime, enjoy the ride.